close this series out with a, with a message that I think is very uh, important for us right now. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 through 3 has been the main scripture for the series. And it says this, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by it our ancestors won God's approval. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. And that's where we've come up with this idea and have been uh, conversing around this idea of, of sight and seeing what does it look like to step into places and spaces uh, with faith, not knowing where we're going, not knowing what it looks like ahead of us, and that is the season that many of us is, have been in. So Hebrews 11, 1 through 3 gives us the idea, the context that we've been wrestling with of this idea of sight and seeing, faith, going where we've never been before. But I want to fast forward now down to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 39, because I want you to see something. I want all of us to see something that's really important about faith. Because I think many times we take faith and we, we make faith this warm feeling. We make faith this, this beautiful, flowery idea. And, and we, can, we get behind it with, with this uh, altruism and this idealism. And, and we think that faith is just this, um, this, this fields of gold and roses and, and beauty and nice things. And I want to read something to you because faith is not always like that. Just to pop your bubble, I know. Beautiful, encouraging moment right there. Hebrews chapter 11, 32 through 39. Watch what this says. And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength in weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, rocks, so you know. They were stoned, they were sawed in two. They died by the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and in goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. And all these were approved to their faith, but they did not receive, this is the fun part, they did not receive what was promised. So they went through all of that, and still never received what was problem, promised. You, you know, as we look at faith, very few of us include that description that we just read in our faith journey. Few of us ever want to, des to describe our journey of faith like that. So today, as we close out our series, Sight Unseen, I want to speak to you from the subject today, disrupted faith. As we look at the type of faith that works when everything around us has changed. Will you pray with me just one more time? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for this time. God, right now, I pray that you would speak to us. For many of us right now in this moment, in this space, our hearts have been disrupted. Our lives have been disrupted. Our faith has been disrupted. And so I pray right now that you would speak to us, that we would hear your voice, not Jason's voice, your voice, your word for our lives right now. In Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody shouted, amen. Um, I've got three kids in my house right now. I've got a 10-year-old, a 9-year-old, and an almost 3-year-old. 
Life has changed. Um, I was thinking back the other day, I was sitting on the couch with, with Eric and my wife, and we were thumbing through pictures. Have you ever done that before? Like where you just take some time, and, and uh, I didn't want to hop on Instagram, because I'm trying to like pace myself with everything you see on there, and so I was like, I'm going to go back on pictures. Have you ever just scrolled down to the bottom section of your pictures? You know, like where you've got like 4,500 pictures on your phone, and you just keep scrolling back? For me, the more I scroll back, the more weight I gain. <laughs> I was like, whoa, whoa. Uh, so I'm scrolling back through these pictures, and I finally got to this picture, and I showed it to Erica. It was my little boy, and he was probably like two or three years old. And like he had this long, blonde hair, and he was just smiling all goofy-like. And when I showed it to Erica, she started to tear up, and then I started to tear up. And it was like, where's our boy gone, right? So we're having a moment on our phones on the couch. And, and I started thinking back, like through all of life over the past 10 years since we started having kids. And I remember when we had Justice, it was like, Everything had come alive in our life. We've been planning for this day and excited for this day. And, and those of you who are parents, you know this because when you have your first kid, how many of you know, like you do everything in your power to make that experience awesome, right? Like you do the room up. We were, I, like I was putting new things and painting and, and we made this beautiful room for this little guy when he was coming into our world. And then like the second child comes along and they get like half a bedroom, Right? And then Eliana, my third, came along, and I haven't even put up curtains yet. So, like, <laughs> we go through this journey, and I was thinking back about having each of these kids. And one kid, one kid, it's not bad. Like, in the house, you, you're, like, you're getting used to it, and it's kind of fun, and it's good. You got, you know, parents are watching the one. And then you have two kids. So, then you go to, like, moving to two kids, you have one-on-one -on -one defense happening. Then you move to three kids, and it's zone defense. Then you move to three kids and a dog, and your household is nuts. Then you move to three kids, a dog, and some chickens, and we ought to be on a farm right now. But I'm thinking about this the other day, and I realized that starting 10 years ago, my life has been disrupted over and over and over and over again. Now, now before you jump onto that term and see it as a negative thing, because like, oh, your kids are just disrupting your life. Yes, they are. And no, they're not. See, disruption is not always a bad thing as long as we allow disruption to do what God can do with it. And every single kid, like when it was justice, it was just the one, life was still pretty normalized for us. Like we were both tag teaming on, on him and we could get things done. And then when Shiloh came around, all of a sudden life changed. It was another disruption. So first we're just getting used to being parents. Now we're getting used to being parents with two kids and how that works in our life. And then now we're getting used to being parents with three kids. It's been disruption, disruption, disruption. And every single time a new kiddo would come, we had to change everything about our life. Every single addition that's come into our life, we've had to change everything. Every age, stage, and season, things have had to change. Why? Disruption. Now, the Cambridge Dictionary defines the term disruption as this, the action of preventing something, especially a system, process, or event from continuing, listen to this, from continuing as usual or expected. That's just the Cambridge definition. And so as it is true in life, it is true in faith. And if we're honest, I think that this truth resonates right now more than ever for so many of our lives and our faith. So disrupted faith 
is faith. I want, to, I want to create a working definition, if you will. This is what disrupted faith is. This is how I'm defining it. Is faith that no longer has the option. Come on, hear me this morning. Faith that no longer has the option to remain the same or continue forward as usual or expected. See, right now in this moment, in this particular time in our history, in our society, and in our culture, faith has to go through a metamorphosis. And for many of us, we've been living with faith in kind of one degree, in one dynamic. And for some of us, maybe it's just been a, a slow boil or a light ember. But right now, more than any time ever, our faith needs to grow into a raging fire so that we can step into what God wants us to step into. It's disrupted faith. Disrupted faith. See, disrupted faith is faith that requires us to reassess the strength and resolve of our faith, the purity of our faith, the reason for our faith. Is it possible that some of us have just ascended to a simple belief system rather than a way of being? And I've come to find out that disrupted faith, moments of disruption in our faith, cause us to go back inside and do the hard work of reaffirming who we are in Christ. And for some of us, that scares us because it's hard. It's not easy. See, if anybody's ever told you that being a Christ follower is easy, they lied. It wasn't true. You will never hear me say like, hey, come follow Jesus, it's gonna be awesome. I know, like pop the bubble. And I think for many of us, we've, we've assessed our faith walk as what I receive rather than what we just read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, is that all of these people walked through this journey of faith and they were tormented and they were beat up and they found themselves in wars and they found themselves jailed and they found themselves sought in two, it said. I can almost guarantee you that in the moment they did not think like, oh yeah, sought in two, part of faith, I'll follow. And for many of us, I think we've stepped out in faith thinking that it's gonna be one thing. Come on, can we just talk truth this morning? And all of a sudden we realize, wait a second, it's not what I thought it was. And then my faith is disrupted. See, disrupted faith is tested faith. Disrupted faith is tested faith. This is what James tells us in James chapter one, two through four. He says this, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Most of us stop there and we're like, yeah, close the book. I don't like this anymore. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces, in this case, he says it produces endurance. See, for a lot of us, many of us have heard this piece of scripture before, and we tend to focus on the joy in the trial part. You ever heard that before? Just have joy in your trials. Be happy. We focus on that part, but we kind of tend to skip over the Tested faith part. You see, tested faith, disrupted faith, produces something in us. It builds something in us. It changes us. My faith in this season has been disrupted. Like, if I'm honest, my faith in this season has been disrupted. It's becoming something. I think, I think in this moment right now, my faith is becoming something and I've never been more aware of it in my entire life and in my entire faith journey. 
Like I've kind of just, in, in, in many ways, I've kind of just been doing and, and, and being, but right now there's some things that have tested my faith. There's some things that have, come on, are you, you with me? Some things that have pushed across my faith and pushed on my faith, and it's hurt, and it's been uncomfortable, and I've had to go through things, and I've had to think through things, and I've had to reconcile things, and I've had to be frustrated at things, and I've been angry about things. Why? Because my faith has been disrupted. It's being tested right now, and my Prayer is, God, do your great work in me so I come out on the other side better. Disrupted faith. So what I want to do with the remainder of our time together today is I just want to take a look at three things that happen through disrupted faith. What, What disrupted faith produces in our lives. The first one is this, is that disrupted faith deconstructs. Disrupted faith deconstructs. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. If you've heard this scripture before, many people call it the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, the disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. If you haven't heard that before, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That one's new. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Where are we going with this, Jesus? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Wait, stop. No. What are you talking about, Jesus? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Then he goes on, doubles down on it. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. How many of you know, like, if you show up on a Sunday morning and this is the message, you're kind of like, ah, hard pass. <laughs> right? And then he says this, be glad and rejoice. <laughs> wait, 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 after all that, stop it, Jesus. You're, you've been walking way too long. Stop it. He says, be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins to deconstruct ideologies with reversed thinking by applying kingdom principle. And here's, here's, the, here's the part that I'm concerned about right now as a pastor is that for many of us, our ideologies are built on not kingdom principle, but self-principle. And so when we bump up against the Beatitudes, all of a sudden it starts to deconstruct the way that we see life, and now my faith is disrupted. See, I don't know if you're quiet online right now or if you're you're hearing what I'm saying. See, we called this suburban faith two weeks ago. 
Faith that just kind of lives in the place that it's at. Faith that kind of just stays in the place that it's at. Faith that's all about what I can receive from Jesus and get from Jesus and and pile on because of Jesus' blessings in my life. And Jesus, right here in the Sermon of the Mount, he starts to deconstruct some things. He starts to say, hey, listen, this is who's blessed. Let me show you some stuff because you are going to experience things in life. You're gonna walk through situations. You're gonna go through moments and it's not going to equal many times what you want your faith to equal. It's going to be disrupted. And so I just need to let you know that if you are broken, don't worry, you're still blessed. If you are down, don't worry, you're still blessed. If you are mourning, don't worry, you still are blessed. And it's deconstructing the way that I see things. Disrupted faith tends to produce a childlike faith because it has no more preconceived notions. It removes the presumptions and the safety mechanisms that we've put in place in our life of faith. And this tends to be the painful part of of our journey. here's, Here's the truth. I've watched people give up on their faith in Jesus, back out of their relationship with Jesus because their faith was disrupted. And I just wanna encourage you today that there is nothing wrong with going through this process because it's disrupted faith that deconstructs some of the things that we need deconstructed so Jesus can build into us what needs to be built into us. It's disrupted faith. See, disrupted faith helps us remain authentic and true in our journey with Jesus. Have you ever met those people before? As they wear a button-up shirt, it's all buttoned up, right? Their faith is all buttoned up and they, and they walk kind of like this. <laughs> because their faith hasn't been disrupted yet. Have you ever met the person who is still completely going after Jesus but they are dragging themselves across the finish line? It's disrupted faith. I wanna help us this morning understand that this is a part of the faith journey. When we allow our faith to be disrupted, it deconstructs certain things in us. Why? So that we can remove our relationship with Jesus out of the box that we put him in. Second thing that disrupted faith does is that disrupted faith redefines. Come on, somebody. It redefines. Lengthy piece of scripture, a lot of Bible today. First Kings chapter 19, 8 through 19 says this, suddenly the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So, so God's speaking to Elijah. Now, let me preface this so you have a little bit of context as to why we're right here in this moment. Elijah gets into this battle, if you will, with these prophets of, of Baal. And this uh, chick named Jezebel decides like, ah, Elijah kind of beat my guys up, so I'm gonna kill him. So after going through this massive battle, this lone woman says something to him, and all of a sudden he loses his mind, and he takes off running. And now we find him right here in this moment. Suddenly! You ever been there before? You ever been running? You ever been trying to hide? You ever been trying to get away from something? And then suddenly... All of a sudden, God speaks in this moment, and the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous. So here's his excuse, right? Here's his his whining. I've been very zealous for the Lord, God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your government, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left 
and they are looking for me to take my life. <laughs> then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. And at that moment, the Lord passed by and a great mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was, was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly, the voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? So now God's on repeat. Watch what he says. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, he replied, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I alone and left, and they're looking to take my life. Have you ever done this with God before? Just keep repeating the same problem that you have? <laughs> and the Lord said to him, Watch what he said. You would think that God would give him this grand idea, right? Like how many of you are with me when, when, when we go, like God's gonna, God's gonna be like, don't worry, Elijah, I'll take care of it. I'm gonna blow everybody up and get rid of all your enemies and all the things. Be like, yeah, you do it, God. Watch what he says. Then the Lord said to him, go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. Go return by the way that you came to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you are there to anoint Hazael as king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elijah, son of Shaphat, over Abel, Maloah, as prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put, death, uh, put to death whoever escapes the sword. And goes on talking about all this stuff, verse 18, but I will leave <laughs> 7,000 in Israel, every knee that has not bowed. So he's letting him know, like, hey, listen, there's others with you. But I'm stuck on this moment where God says to Elijah, I want you to go back the way that you came. And here, here, here's what I really felt like God put my heart to say in this moment. Fear led Elijah to the mountain. His faith was disrupted, and then faith led him off the mountain. Fear led him to the place. His faith was disrupted. God speaks and redefines him, and so then new faith takes him off the mountain. And here's what I've come to notice is that many of us want to stay on the mountaintop because we don't want to go back to fear, but we don't want our faith to change. We don't want to go back to where we were, but we realize that in the redefining moments that God may do in my life, he's going to potentially make me go again into places and spaces that I do not want to go or that are uncomfortable or that are sore or that are painful. And I just want to encourage us today that when our faith is disrupted, God is redefining us. When our faith is disrupted, he's redoing some things in us. When our faith is disrupted, maybe I got to the mountain because of fear, but now I'm gonna leave the mountain in faith. When my faith is disrupted, all of a sudden, I have a strength that I've never had before so I could step into new places and new spaces. It's disrupted faith. And this is what Paul says when he, when he writes in Romans 12, verse two, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Transformed. See, transformation or redefining finds its genesis in and through disrupted faith. Third thing is this, the last thing is this. I love this one, disrupted faith undoes. Disrupted faith undoes. 
2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6 says this. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war, come on, according to the flesh. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. So we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. If you're taking notes, I need you to write this down today. Disrupted faith has a tendency to undo what has been allowed to be done through stagnant faith. See, disrupted faith will always lead to a stripping away of or a removal of. And I don't know, I think, I think more than ever right now, some stuff needs to be undone. I think there's a lot of presumptions that we've been leading out with and foundational things that we've allowed to be built inside of our hearts and our minds that actually are not there because Jesus put them there, but rather we've allowed the world to put them there. We've allowed situation and circumstance to, to put themselves there. And, and just like Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, listen, this war is not flesh and blood, but rather it's, it, it's something bigger. It's a spiritual battle, and we've got to demolish some strongholds. We've got to demolish some arguments and, and proud things that have been raised up against the knowledge of God. Tonight, at six o'clock, we are going to be engaging in that battle. Tonight, we are going to gather in a parking lot of all places. Think about that. Isn't it interesting that in, in everything that we've been going through, you would think, oh man, if we could just get back into church and get back into the building and get back into that place and space, then we can start going to battle. Then we can start dealing with the stuff that we can deal with. But you know what? In this moment right now, we've been called to a parking lot where there is no walls around us that anybody and everybody is welcome to park their car and open their window and shout it out because we are going to demolish the stronghold. We're gonna erase the arguments. And maybe, just maybe, it took the church getting out of the four walls to get a little bit of deconstructed faith, a little bit of disrupted faith to cause us to see things and do things that we would never do. disrupted faith there's things that need to be undone our notions our hurts our bitterness our unforgiveness our hatred all these things have been raised up against the knowledge of God but we the people of God have been called to engage in a different type of battle one where we start to say hey listen not on our watch not on this moment not in this generation we're going to do something about it and it's not a fight with our hands it's a fight with our hearts it's a fight with our faith It's a fight that's not 
won with an argument. It's, it's a fight that's not won with just building something else. No, it's a fight that is won when our faith has been so disrupted, it causes us all to run to the feet of Jesus. And it is only in that place that we will receive the healing we need. It is only in that place that we will receive the life that we need. It is only in that place that we will receive the hand up that we need. Why? Because at the feet of Jesus, everything is covered. At the feet of Jesus, it's forgiven. At the feet of Jesus, it changes. When we are undone, to hear this, feel God in this moment. When we are undone, it's only when we have the ability to undo. So many of us want to undo things, but we ourselves have yet to be undone before God. We want to undo this and undo that. The question is, is have you been undone? Because the battle right now is me. It's me. I'm my battle. You are yours. Disrupted faith. Disrupted faith undoes. And then it's in that place that we can be the solution to undo.